All right, while you're making your way to your seat, I would encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do, to go ahead and take it out. And we're in James chapter 3 this morning. James chapter 3, we're looking at verses 13 through 18. Um, as, a, as a church this summer, we've been marching our way through this book, and it's been, um, for me, wildly fun. I love it. It's great. Hopefully you guys have too. Um, James, if you don't know, James is an incredibly practical book. It's incredibly practical. And uh, hopefully we'll find um, some of that uh, as well this morning. So James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. I'm going to just read for us, and then I'll pray, and we'll just dive right in, all right? This is God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere." And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. As it comes to us, we know it to be eternal and true, Lord. And we just pray that you would take this word, Lord, that you would write it on our hearts, that you would use it to um, bring comfort where comfort's needed, to give direction where direction is needed, to bring healing where where healing and hope are needed, Father. We just pray that you would use um, your word this morning and by the power of the Spirit, Lord, would you um, shape us into the people that you have um, designed us and called us to be. Lord, we love you and we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, some of you may know this about me, but I am, I'm a sort of self-declared non-fan of fireworks, just I just don't find them all overly that impressive. And every year around this time, you know, I, I am reminded of how unimpressed I sort of am by fireworks. I don't know, it's not like I'm special, I'm not, I'm not trying to like virtue signal or anything like that. I've just never really gotten the whole firework thing, you know, um, and I don't know. So, uh, you know, in my mind, I'm just kind of like, hey, you know, if I wanna see a good fireworks show, I could just YouTube it in the comfort of my own home. Bam, it's great, right? And every year I can never remember, is this year better than the next year? Is that place better than that place? I have no idea. It just seems to be the same old thing. Just sort of not into it, okay? So for me, um, here's the deal, though. I, you know, I try to be a good American citizen, all right? I am a father of children, and I, I have to at least act like I enjoy them for their sake, okay? And so for, for us every year, it's never really a question of if we're going to the fireworks. The question is always sort of, which fireworks are we going to see, right? And the Press Citizen is always super helpful. They put out a little article that says, around Iowa City, here's all the different communities. Here's the date that you can see this, this you know, Hills is doing it this year, and Coralville's here, and Iowa City's there, and North Liberty, and you can just kind of pick and choose where you want to go watch the fireworks, right? So it's great, you know? So every time 4th of July rolls around, it's always an opportunity for us, for me, to make a choice. Not if, but where. The reality is, life is full 
of choices like this, right? Every single day, we are people who are just constantly making one choice after another. Some of these choices are trivial, maybe. What to eat for dinner, what to wear to church, you know, not really all that, I mean, wear something, please. It matters, okay? But, you know, just kind of everyday, mundane sort of decisions. There's other choices that are more serious. Where to send your kids to school, who to marry, where to live, what to do with yourself, how to raise your children. These are significant decisions that our life, that we have to make in our life. Now, as we consider our spiritual life, the truth of the matter is we are also faced with a choice, a decision to make. Scripture tells us that there are really only two ways to live your life, two paths for you to choose which one to take. You can have the, Scripture will talk about it as the sort of broad path that will say leads to destruction, or there's the narrow path which leads to life. You can choose to build your life, another way of looking at it, on sand, or you can choose to build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ. Now, James here in chapter 3, verse 13 and 18, really throughout the entire letter of James, he, he talks about this idea of making, living a choice, living a life based on a choice. Really, there's only two different ways to live, two kinds of living. Here are two kinds of wisdom. One you can follow that comes from earth, from below, we'll say, or you can choose to, to live your life according to the wisdom that comes from above. That's what he tells us here in these verses. And the big idea, really, of the text, what James is trying to help us see is that we, as God's children, must be the type of people who seek and show wisdom that only comes from above. That's who we are to be. Now, we'll see this together as we look at the text. I want to show you sort of three things. The first thing that we'll consider together is the nature of true wisdom. The second thing we'll consider is the look of true wisdom. And finally, we'll consider together the choice of true wisdom. So first, the nature of true wisdom. My guess is that most people, most of us here this morning, will have, on some level, you will think of yourself on some degree as wise, or at least you'd like to think you're wise. Either way, we all have an idea of what wisdom is. When, when you hear the word wisdom, what are some other words that you closely associate with it? This is interactive. That's a question. You can answer it. Just say it out loud whenever you're ready, whoever wants to. Wisdom. What other words associate, you associate with wisdom? Give me something. Knowledge. Thank you, Dee Dee. The low-hanging fruit. Yes. Very good. Extra credit for her. Thank you. What else? Wisdom. What else? Knowledge. What else do you associate with it? Good conduct. Somebody's reading in their Bible, reading ahead. Good job. Good conduct. Extra credit for Gerald. What else? Patience. What else do you associate with wisdom? Being old. Yeah. 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 Gray hair. There. Okay, I'll shut it off there. It's enough. Enough interaction for today. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what James tells us in verse 13, two things that we should naturally associate with true wisdom, the type that comes from above. 
The first one, you see it right there in verse 13, good conduct. And the second one is meekness. What do you associate with wisdom? James says, good conduct and meekness. What is the wise person? They're a person who shows their wisdom, and they are a meek person, a humble person. Let's take them one at a time. Good conduct. He's reaching back here to a familiar theme, one that he has already established. The way you live your life matters. It's so important on a Sunday morning that we declare, that we align around certain convictional beliefs. It's one of the things that make one church sort of unique from another church, shared sets of convictions. But what James tells us is convictions, yes, they matter, but they they matter because they are not just kept inside of you, they are shown outside of you by the the way you live your life. Your life matters. We've seen this the way he said that faith apart from works is dead. He calls us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. It's one thing to say you believe something. It's an entirely different thing to show somebody what you believe, okay? And James says both go hand in hand, okay? And when you receive the good news of Jesus and you believe it by faith, we know this to be true, your life changes. It turns for the good. It turns Toward the good. That person demonstrates ready obedience to God's word. Notice James doesn't say, show me a person with the most letters following their name or the most awards hanging on their wall. Show me the person with the highest GPA, IQ, or the best ACT. It's not what he says. In fact, there's no mention of intelligence, wits, or smarts because those things aren't what determine if a person is wise. Rather, wisdom is determined by the degree a person's life reflects the truth. That's what determines wisdom. So you see, just like faith, James is saying wisdom is something that can be shown, something that you can see, not just by gray hair. It's got to look. Second thing he says, good conduct and meekness. Not just is he associated with good conduct, but it's also associated with meekness. What's the definition of meekness? Here you go. Humble and gentle towards others. The person who's meek, there's somebody who's humble and they're gentle towards others and they are willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. So sort of a a horizontal dynamic and a vertical dynamic to meekness. Gentle, humble towards those. Horizontal to others. Vertically, submit themselves to the Lord. That's what the meek person looks like. You know, one of the things that my girls love to do is to horseback ride. And in the summer, we go someplace where they get to do that once a week. It's fun, okay? And it's remarkable at the same time. You know, I think of these little girls, Noel six, on top of this massive beast. And it just, you know, I, I didn't grow up around horses. I don't get horses. They're, they're amazing animals. They really are. But what's so amazing is to listen to a little word come out of her mouth and just a little tug of a rein in this massive animal turns on command. It's amazing. This this idea 
of meekness. It's it's a word that's used to describe a high-spirited horse that's brought under control. That's the picture of meekness. High-spirited beast of an animal brought under control. He hasn't lost his strength. That horse is just as capable of doing some serious damage, going at tremendous amounts of speed, but he carries it with gentleness, with humility. Now, in antiquity, this idea of meekness wasn't really valued. You question whether it's really valued in our day and age today. I'm not totally sure that it is. I think for for some, throughout antiquity, they saw it as a, a weakness in somebody's character. Somebody who was meek, they were weak, a spineless individual who was okay being taken advantage of or just being walked over by others. That's how meekness was viewed in antiquity. Well, the Bible has a totally different value it places on this idea, totally different. In in Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses is described as the, the meekest of men. Is an incredible leader of God's people that God used to do amazing things. He says, God says of Moses, he was the meekest of all. He was approachable. He was wise. In Galatians 5, this idea of meekness, of, of gentleness, of humility is a, a, a obvious sort of sign of the, the spirit of God at work in your life. It's a fruit of the spirit. Jesus himself calls the meek, they are the ones who will be blessed. They will be the ones who will inherit the earth. Tremendous value on this idea of meekness. And of course, Jesus himself, the one place in the Bible, Matthew chapter 11, where he sort of opens up his chest and tells us precisely what his heart is like, this, these are the words that he uses to describe his own heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. That's what Jesus says of himself. So you can see this idea of being meek is of tremendous value according to God's word. Now, this is good news for us because if wisdom was determined by cleverness or by intellectual capacity, by knowledge that was gained, it could so easily lead to things like pride and arrogance It could be a reflection of how hard we've worked or how much effort we've put in or how brilliant and gifted that we are. Mastering this subject, learning this field. But instead, James associates wisdom with meekness and humility in a way to keep us from pride and boasting and arrogance that would maybe naturally follow another way of being wise. Now, it's important to understand and see this connection. I don't believe that James is simply writing off knowledge and saying that it's got no use and you shouldn't pursue it at all. Not at all. But I do believe that we can see a clear distinction between just knowledge, intellectual capacity, and wisdom. And he's showing us the difference. True wisdom doesn't produce puffed out chests or inflated egos. Rather, from The meekness of wisdom flows good conduct. That's the nature of true wisdom. Now, what's the look of it? He goes on to tell us precisely how true wisdom looks. Remember, two types. There's two different kinds of wisdom. 
And each of them has a unique and particular look. You see the, the first one, and they, they come from different places. In verse 16, the, the one, there's one that comes from below. He calls it in verse 16, earthly, uh, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. That's a choice. The other choice is a kind of wisdom that comes from above. He says so in verse 17. So what's the look of wisdom that comes from below? Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is the look of the wisdom that comes from below. This is the look of earthly wisdom, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Not surprising to see these things mentioned here as vices. The way of Jesus is so unlike bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. But I confess it's a little surprising. To me, it's kind of surprising that James even refers to this wisdom from below as wisdom at all. One question as I was reading this text this week, I was thinking to myself, why does he not just call it foolishness? Why does he just not call it foolishness? I can't think of another word. Why does he call it wisdom? It, it struck, to, struck me as odd. Luckily, I was reading, and there was a, there was a commentator who really addressed this. Um, his name is Daniel Doriani, and he points out that the reason why he calls this wisdom is because envy and ambition do have a particular logic to them, even if they're ultimately from the devil. There is a logic that flows here. The, the logic is one that, well, quite honestly, we look around our world and we see it all over the place. The, the, this idea that I have to look out for myself, my interests, my preferences, my future. After all, if I don't do that, who else will? It makes sense that I push myself to the front of the line. I need to ensure that I get what I deserve, what I've earned, what belongs to me. And in a world where we are constantly measuring ourselves horizontally against other people, figuring out ways to advance, are others getting more attention than belongs to me, are others getting more promotion that I should get, on and on and on you can go. This makes sense. See, there's a, a veneer of wisdom in a world where God doesn't exist. But that's not the world we live in. James is reminding us of that. He goes on to say that, that while you're tempted to think this way, don't. Because this type of living, this kind of wisdom, the wisdom that comes from below, if you structure your life this, according to this wisdom, it yields a particular fruit. It works its way out in a unique way. What is the fruit of the wisdom that comes from below? He says right there in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What's the fruit of the wisdom from below? Disorder. What does it yield in your life? Disorder and every vile practice. Wisdom below. This is really important for us to see this morning. If you structure your life according to the wisdom that comes from below, it does not have a sort of neutral impact on your life. It doesn't just sort of neutrally zero out. It has a devastating impact on your life. It leaves us confused in a chaotic world 
where catastrophe is, we're just one step away from catastrophe. That's, that is the outworking of it. You know, the, the great picture that we see in Scripture where we see this play out is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the perfect picture of what happens, what the look of wisdom from below looks like and what the fruit it yields. It's a great example when mankind trusts in the wisdom that comes from below, when Adam and Eve listen to the wisdom of Satan, the beautiful order that God had created, the peace that they had enjoyed, all of it tragically disrupted. Disorder and every vile practice follows. Trace it all the way back to Genesis 3. It's not an example he wants us to follow. It should be obvious. So what's the look of wisdom from above? He gives us the look of the wisdom from below, and he shows us a description of what a life according to wisdom from above looks like. Look down and see. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Notice the contrast. Pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Brothers and sisters, this is what wisdom from above looks like. My goodness, what a difference. It's pure. Wisdom from above has a continuity between the internal motives and the external behavior. It's pure. It's peaceable, unlike worldly wisdom where disorder and chaos reign. Wisdom from above produces peace socially. See him get into this more in the beginning of chapter four. We'll look at that next week. Wisdom from above is gentle. True wisdom doesn't have to prove a point, win an argument, and destroy everybody who disagrees with them. It's not the look of true wisdom. Open to reason. It's, it's a unique word. This is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used. It, it doesn't mean a person, being open to reason, doesn't mean a person who's sort of squishy on the truth. It's not at all. Remember, Jesus was a man who was full of grace and truth, not half truth or three-quarters truth, full truth, full grace. And he calls us to be people who are like that as well. We are open to reason. It, it means someone who's teachable, somebody, the wisdom from above refuses to walk around and, and make sure that everybody is aware of just how much they know. They're, they're open to discussion, to listening to different ideas. Not squishy on the truth, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, looking at other people with compassion and with love, withholding at times punishments that are deserved by others. That's what being means to be full of mercy. These are the natural results of somebody who lives their life according to the wisdom that comes from above, impartial. We saw this in chapter two. Sincere, the masks comes off, no room for shiftiness or instability. Rather, what you see is what you get kind of Christianity. That's what the wisdom from above looks like. Now, what's the fruit? Just like wisdom from below has a particular look and it yields a certain kind of fruit, so does the wisdom from above. It has a unique look and it produces a unique fruit. Look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those 
who make peace. The behavior produced by wisdom from above, it invests itself in such a way that it leads to a massive amount of fruit, righteousness, peace. I think you can think of this fruit sort of on two different levels. First, you can think of your own lives as we live in light of the wisdom that comes from above. As we, we live according to his wisdom, we live lives that please him, that please God, that align with God's priorities, with his principles. We produce more of the good deeds done in humility that come from this wisdom. Now, specifically in the context, right before, remember last week, James is talking about the way we speak. So there's an easy application. The look of somebody who lives their life according to the wisdom that comes from above has a unique way of speaking. The words that come out of their mouth, they just sound different. And then what will follow in the beginning of chapter four, not just about speech, but also in relationships. You live your life according to this wisdom. It has a unique effect in the way you view other people in your life, those that are closest to you, those who are the most different from you. It looks different, but it also impacts us personally, but it also has a larger impact as well. This is amazing. A harvest of righteousness. The impact of you ordering your life according to wisdom that comes from above doesn't just stay with you. It impacts the world around you. The idea here is that as we structure our lives according to his wisdom, our lives become compelling to others around us. Others can actually be drawn to God by looking at how you live your life, the way you speak to or about others, the way you love others can have a compelling effect to actually draw other people closer to God, a harvest of righteousness, the way we live, the way we love. People can get an idea of what God is like. That's amazing. When you live your life according to the wisdom that comes from above, you produce a harvest of righteousness. That's exciting. So, final point, the choice of true wisdom. I mean, that, hopefully, everybody's sitting here thinking to themselves, I want that. (laughs) Purity, peace. Mentioned before that we're all every day forced to make a choice. All kinds of choices, all over the place. I think it's important to note though, when you say yes, unfortunately this is true for me, if I go to the restaurant and I'm given a, one of our favorite restaurants we go to sometimes and we haven't been there for a while, but amazing desserts. And I would find myself looking at the dessert menu and I'm thinking to myself, saying yes to bread pudding sounds so right, but saying no to pecan pie cobbler, how can I do that, you know? But unfortunately, well, I guess in that circumstance, I often would say yes to both, but there's something I'm saying no to. See, that's that's the thing about choices. 
When you say yes to one particular thing, you're also simultaneously rejecting something else. As I was thinking about this, one of the stories in the New Testament that came to mind was the rich young ruler. Maybe you're familiar with the story in Mark chapter 10. A young man, wealthy, successful, approaches Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I've, I've dotted all the I's, I've crossed all the T's. I've done it all, I've kept the commands. And Jesus, looking at him, Scripture says, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You remember how the story ends? Couldn't do it. Verse 22 says that disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, this young man understood saying yes to Jesus meant saying no something else. And the thing that he was going to have to say no to, he actually loved more than Jesus. Major problem. He was presented with a choice. Truth of the matter is, right here this morning, we're presented with a choice as well. James 3 gives us two contrasting ways of living and just invites us to make a choice. Are you going to live your life according to the wisdom that comes from below, like verses 14 to 16? Is that gonna be the type of life you wanna sign up for? The sad truth is we see this kind of wisdom all around us. In many respects, it's the air we breathe and we don't even realize it. There's a particular way of spending time, of treating people, of, of speaking a way of dealing with our money, a way of viewing those who are different from us. That's all structured according to this wisdom from below. I think in the, the gospel story, some of the folks who sort of personify this verses 14 to 16, it's the Pharisees, individuals who had the authority and the power. They, they actually saw Jesus face to face. They heard what he taught firsthand. They saw firsthand his power on display, yet when they were confronted with the God himself, they were jealous of Christ. The attention he received, the claims that he made, and therefore, what did they do? Rejected him, crucified him, killed him. They are the embodiment of verse 14 to 16, a picture of wisdom from below. Now, at different times and different places, it just puts on different names, looks different. But the reality of this world is, is really not changed. Bitterness, jealousy, selfish ambition. This is the world. This is what the world offers you. The world will tell you, is it's just up to you. Just look inside. Create your own identity. Make your own reality. You just got to put yourself out there. Make life happen. Beat out the competition. Get what's yours. Come out on top. Do you know what that sounds like to me? Utterly exhausting. Totally exhausting. Heartbreaking, nauseating. Chaos and confusion. 
You could choose that way. Many do. But it's not the only choice that we're given. It's not the only option. Verse 17 and 18 paints a very different picture. And it points to a very different kind of person. Jesus, the incarnate wisdom that came from above. He came to us. He steps into our chaotic mess. Our world that's filled with jealousy and selfish ambition. Jesus moves right on in. Mighty Lord of the universe comes to us as a baby in a filthy manger. Empties, the Bible says he empties himself. All the power of God himself. He was mighty, but this Savior became meek. He was righteous, but he was also gentle and lowly. It's a picture of humility. And through his life and death, just Jesus offers us peace in place of jealousy. What an amazing trade. Mercy instead of selfish ambition. This was God's design from the very beginning to bring heaven down to earth. And he invites you and me in on it. Isn't that amazing? Just jump right in. This wisdom from above, it's for you. Parkview East, there are two ways to live your life. And they couldn't be more different from each other. Jesus comes to us this morning and invites us to step out of the chaos and enter into his stability and joy and peace. The peace of heaven itself. That's the invitation. That's the offer. We see this in Jesus, and we can only have this through Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you haven't, you haven't committed your life to Jesus, turn to him, repented of your sins, ask for forgiveness, do not wait. Don't wait another day, because you are missing out. You're just missing out on the wisdom that comes from above. I think it, while it's common, one of the things I was reflecting on just this morning is while it's common to think of wisdom as an intellectual matter, which I think many of us do, or even a practical matter, which those two things are obviously related. What James is telling us this morning is before it's either of those things, wisdom is an ethical matter. It's an ethical matter. Hannah Anderson writing on this says, wisdom is ultimately an outgrowth of humility. Becoming wise people Becoming people who can make good decisions only comes when we understand who God is and who we are as a result. The way of wisdom, the kind that we all need, begins with one single step of humility, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Wisdom from above, we should seek it, and it's meant to be shown. So that when other people look at our life, his mercy is on display. His grace, his joy, his peace, his heaven can be seen. Let's seek it and show it together, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for uh, just this reality, Lord, that you um, are, Lord, the wise God.
And you tell us earlier in James, if any of us lacks wisdom, all we have to do is ask you. And you give generously. So Lord, right now our prayer is just really simple. Lord, would you give us wisdom? Lord, we want to be a church that is modeled after and looks like the wisdom that comes from above Jesus himself. Lord, we want that in our lives personally. There's many of us here today who, um, Lord, we just need your help. And uh, Lord, we know that you're a God who gives generously and we need it. So would you pour yourself out, Lord? Lord, would you individually help us to live our lives according to your wisdom? As a church, would you help us to do just the same thing? Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.